focusing on what matters to you and your neighbors. Welcome to Resist Bot Pod. Hey, everybody, we're back. Uh, week three here on Resist Bot Live. Glad to have everybody. Thousands of you have chosen to spend some part of your week with us uh, each week for the last couple of weeks. And it is it is really just a great treat to uh, to be able to say that to you. I'm Scott McTaggart. I'm your moderator here on Resist Bot Live. Tons and tons to discuss today just because uh, rather than what we've done the last couple episodes, we're going to try to help out with what's been happening in the headlines. So there are a ton of different things going on with reconciliation, with debt ceiling, some conversation about infrastructure that figures in here. We're looking at this really as like a massive interconnected negotiations kind of a concept. And uh, I am honestly going to be like pulling research and, and, and things live. So you're going to see me looking away, grabbing at the screen. If you're watching the live stream with us here at 1 p.m. Eastern on Sunday, remember, everyone is invited to join us for the live stream. That's on Facebook and Twitter, as well as YouTube and Twitch. You can join the live stream. That gives you the ability to participate in the comments section. Ask your questions in real time. Uh, exciting stuff. If uh, if you're going to do a million topics or at least like a million subtopics like we're talking about doing here. So, uh, yeah, let's let's get this started again. Tomorrow is Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, kind of an interesting thing if you're old enough to remember when such a thing was inconceivable. But now it seems like we're making actual progress on that and uh, and celebrating that as opposed to Columbus Day. That will be tomorrow. Uh Quick re-bump of what we started off with last week. Don't forget the Reddit community is out there. I uh, would love to have more people participating in there. Obviously, your comments on Facebook and Twitter and, and whatnot are always uh, appreciated as well. If there's anything that you think would make a great topic or a great guest, be sure to let us know. Um, today is about what we refer to here internally as sort of uh, struggling in public. We're we're working on something with you so that you can see sort of how complex this is, but also that you can get to a point where you can responsibly participate in the conversation, responsibly participate in the voting on various petitions and, and sending things to your uh, elected officials. Before we get into that, I would like to introduce... Uh, a contributor that's been with us, but uh, this will be her debut today. Christine Liu. Christine, how are things? Hi. Hi, everyone. So where are you right now? So I'm based in Los Angeles. You're in downtown LA. Yep. Grew we got a West Coast. Yeah. We needed the West Coast coverage. <laughs> California. <laughs> that's great to have you. Um, you. And, and you've known about ResistBot. You've been participating on the bot. Uh, you go back with some of the folks, you know, in the... Uh, in the leadership as well as on the volunteer side. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what's important to you and, and how you see the bot being used. So first and foremost, what I love about it is being someone who is both an immigrant and as well as Asian American, part of a demographic that's the fastest growing voter demographic in the U.S. Um, often find that, you know, folks that look like me aren't well represented or are not uh, dialed in or plugged in. So what I love about ResistBot is 
it just gives you a chance to stay and feel engaged, even if we're all busy, right? In our busy days, and yeah. even early on as an early user, what I loved about it is when you are doom scrolling <laughs> through Twitter, um, it provides you a nice outlet. It's just amazing to be able to feel like, you know, oftentimes we come across things that really can set us off for the rest of the day. And for those of us who feel like we are used to being in action on something, just the act of being able to make it easier to contact your elected reps has been amazing for my mental health <laughs> personally, but also then you feel like you're, 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 you know, participating, which I think is really important. I'm, I'm really happy that you're joining us. You have a tremendous resume and reputation in understanding international uh, relations and international business. Uh, it's not just the immigration piece. You're you're actually a pragmatist in the realm of of doing business across borders. Uh, obviously, you know you you said like you know you're an Asian American. You're you're familiar with those issues. Uh, you're connected to uh, you know Taiwan. You're connected to China. It's it's going to be really valuable to the show going forward. And I'm really glad to have you. Uh, I, I'm going to lean on you quite a bit today, asking questions about sort of. What's happening outside the U.S. bubble of these discussions about reconciliation and debt ceiling and whatnot? Because I think there are um, there are times when we don't really understand how much of a noise we make on the international stage. Uh, absolutely, and that's the lens that I absolutely look forward to. Have no shortage of opinions on. So thank you, Scott. <laughs> well, we will uh, we will look forward to that. In the meantime, uh, let's start bringing the rest of your new pals up on stage. Uh, let's begin with uh, Susan Stutz. Susan, I uh, I always look to you for research and understanding what's going on in the world. How are things? Uh, things are good. How are you? Hi, Christine. You know, nice to meet you. We seem okay, I think. <laughs> we seem okay. Uh, you know, yeah, there's some um, chatter out there about, there's actually a lot of chatter about the debt ceiling issues and the infrastructures and, um, you know, one of the things that I did just to see what, you know, people were thinking, I looked for some polling. And as a matter of fact, uh, we have um, 538 uh, put out an article just a few days ago about that. And so it seems to be about evenly weighted how people who people are going to blame for oh, really? the debt ceiling issue. Uh, two out of five blame both sides. Um, one out of five blames the GP, the GOP alone. So, um, but, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how realistic that actually is because. Well, does it seem as though that's polling just people who really know the ins and outs of it? Or is this more just a general poll without screening the people? I mean, I, we, we should probably refer people. 538 does great work. We should refer people to 538.com so they can they can dig in on what you're talking about. But I'm curious what you what you read. Um, interestingly, their article talks about that very issue about whether or not people are um, actually educated on the topic. And um, it's really hard to gauge that, apparently. Um, the article did mention that, you know, not everybody was given all of the information. Um, but it does seem like people understand what the issue with the debt ceiling is. They know what it means. And um, actually, one of the things that I love about the bot is when you write to your legislator, you can call them out on the lies that they tell. And um, 
the ResistBot community is definitely doing that. They're calling out the lies um, when they write to their um, legislators. But, you know, um, the last time they really looked at people who understood it was back in 2013. And they haven't really, you know, what they think now is pretty much in keeping with that. And some people understand it and some people don't. Um, my concern, though, is whether or not this just boils down to these poll numbers boil down to Democrats versus Republicans. That's my fear, too. To- yeah, that, that's definitely my fear, too. Let's bring Melanie up on stage. Melanie, you're you're our uh, duly elected representative on behalf of the audience. I don't think there was an election, but let's just, just play along, okay? I voted myself in. Very good, very good. Uh, first of all, good to see you. How are you? I'm great. How's everybody doing? I think I think we used the word doom scrolling earlier, but I still think we're okay. <laughs> I mean, I think that's appropriate when we all kind of exist in this realm of thinking we're in the po- apocalypse. So I get it. That feels right. It's just like, well, you know, we've got a phone. Is it really the apocalypse? I don't know. I'm, I'm caught right. between the two points. Um, tell me what your gut says right now, based on the audience reaction you've been seeing. Um, you know, just. Like lately, like, does this, does this feel like there's the the reconciliation and debt ceiling is dominant? I, I, it seems like the, the newspapers would have you believe that it's dominant, but I don't know that I believe that it's dominant with what I will call regular people. I think people have segments of what they're interested in, um, in this bill. Like I've seen talk about, you know, what they propose to spend toward HBCUs. The original proposed amount was, I think, 45 billion and a more recent proposed amount was 2 billion. So there was a lot of chatter about that. Um, Melanie, I'm sorry. Can you tell me what the HBCUs, what does that stand for? Historically Black Colleges and Universities. Thank you. Yeah. So there was um, so there's a lot of talk about that. And when you think about it, about who got this administration elected, you know, the, the very, very heavy HBCU support. Uh, Kamala Harris is a graduate of Howard. So that's that's, you know, one facet of it. Then you see then I don't it seems like people don't completely know what's involved in it. They only know that they hate uh, cinema and mansion <laughs> and, and, yeah. and by and large. I think that, and then there's the other, as, the other aspect where people just don't care about either party. It's people are burnt out on the entire partisan topic and they just really want to get things back on track, whether it's financially, personally, they they just want the people that they elected to do what they say they're going to do. I'm glad you to, brought up Cinema and Mansion, though. I really am glad you brought that up. That feels like it's overexposed. It feels like it's sort of like the the scintillating argument that is maybe overexposed, and then the rest of it is still sort of uncovered uh, because people want to have the horse race in conflict. Sort of like they they want it to be exciting in order to follow these these stories. And I, I have to drop in the bit where if you've got comments and things, this is the part where I say Melanie will be watching for your comments and questions and whatnot. Um, it's interesting, though, how many people know the cinema and mansion piece versus maybe know the finance it, piece and the debt ceiling piece. 
And I think part of it, I, I don't think that um, either one of them are exactly innocent in, or they're complicit in this. I mean, you can't, you've got to know that in times like this, if you haven't had a town hall in three years, people are going to talk about you. You've got to know that when you when you talk about entitlement and you're rich, people are going to talk about you. When you're actively, you know, it almost seems like you're working against your party. People are going to have things to say, so, and, and especially when things are so contentious. So it's kind of, I, I, I definitely think it's overinflated, but I don't think they're helping their cause either, either one of them. So you bring up something interesting about sort of like, it, that immediately brings me to a question about what are the stakes of all this, right? Like, like maybe they would have a different opinion or maybe they would be more movable. And I really do not want to fall down the cinema and mansion hole here. I right. There are a million different places that can talk about that. But uh, I do want to talk about, and actually let's get Joe up here for this. Joe, Professor Buzzkill himself, Dr. Joe Kuhill, I got to make sure that you at least get a proper, hey, Joe, how you doing? Fine. <laughs> yeah. I'm better now that I'm with everybody here. Well, we're glad to have you. Um, I'm, Melanie started bringing up this concept of sort of like, you know, rich people talking about privilege, you know, rich people not feeling as though that it's, it's needed, but it's an entitlement. And, and I have a really big question for you, which is as our, as our resident historian, Talk to me about stakes. If I'm just walking down the sidewalk past a newsstand, I will see reconciliation, infrastructure, debt ceiling, dominating front page news, and all of the inside baseball negotiations supporting that. But I don't know that me or anyone else can say with authority, I know how big, how high the stakes are. I, I know what's at risk. Um, let's start with just an easy one, like scale of one to 10. How big of a storm is this? This is a big storm and it's bigger than most people think because it's a cluster of storms. You have not only the, this sort of uh, game of chicken, as was mentioned in the Senate the other day about the debt ceiling, uh, that's only been postponed. And when, when all these things are coming in at once, I would give this a seven. And I think what people are spending perhaps too much time on worrying about is other things. I would like, I think, and I think all the panelists are here, I'd like more attention to be paid to these coming crises. If you've got the debt ceiling and the filibuster and the mansion cinema problem, and also all the problems of, of, of democratic restrictions being placed in uh, restrictions on democracy being put, uh, placed in so many states in the last couple of years, I think we're headed for some pretty tense times by the time this the new deficit ceiling, the new debt ceiling um, issue comes up in December. So I'd give this a, a pretty high ranking. I'm not, I'm losing sleep, and I know another of, I know a, a great number of American historians were talking to each other and saying, well, wait a minute now, this is, this is bad. Maybe it's not 1850s bad, uh, but it's, it's bad. Susan, um, along those lines then, what else do you think, what stories aren't getting oxygen because of how tirelessly this these stories, I, I, I think of it simultaneously as one big story because it's all interconnected negotiation, right? But I also think of them as like separate, to use Joe's terminology, it's a cluster of storms, right? Um, what else is not getting enough oxygen because of this? And it, I don't know if anyone has an opinion on this, but who's benefiting from the fact that 
other issues aren't really getting the spotlight? Um, well, in one regard, I think who's benefiting are um, batterers, people who engage in violence against their loved ones. Um, the Violence Against Women's Act is still not has still not been uh, reaffirmed. I know that's not the right word, but I'm drawing a blank on the correct word. You know, that's still sitting out there. And, you know, it was passed in the House in March. And it's only just now, within the last couple of days, getting attention in the Senate. And that is a vital program that provides funds and resources for people who are in a violent situation. And that should have been reaffirmed. It gets reaffirmed every five years. It's from 1994. It's, it's long-term and it has been completely ignored. Um, along with that, and because of all these other um, problems that we're dealing with, we've got a pandemic inside of our pandemic, and that is the violence against women, violent, uh, violence happening in the home. Um, and they call it the shadow pandemic. And I had never heard that phrase before, but I just learned that. And so, um, you know, violence in the home has ramped up exponentially since the pandemic. And that is just, you know, VAWA is there to provide funding and resources, and we just need to get that affirmed again. And so that's, that's a perfect example of what I'm asking, right? I think yeah. I think if you would have asked everyone, they would have said voting rights. But the fact that we all would have said voting rights proves that at least it's getting it's getting some oxygen. I, mm-hmm. I, I think the the pandemic within the pandemic that you're referring to of, and and I think it's it's. It's violence in the home and then the subsequent mental health problems and, and you know, like additional problems that, that come from that. Mm-hmm. I don't remember having heard anyone but you say that in the content, like in the in the last month or so when everyone's been banging on the drum, cinema mansion, cinema mansion, reconciliation, negotiation. So uh, that's a that's a perfect example of what I mean. There are things that are the regular business of the country. And, and I think it's uh, incumbent on us to, to treat this as Joe said, it's a seven, you know, and, and let's not forget, right. Joe's not coming at this from, from a gut feel. Joe is, has, has studied our history extensively, but that doesn't mean that the other business of the country uh, you know, shouldn't be attended to. So Melanie, what do we have? Is there anything coming in in terms of uh, comments from the audience? Yes, yes. We had Katie who um, kind of echoed uh, the sentiment about the HBCU funding, the cut in the proposed funding and how it's offensive, um, given that uh, VP, well, I'll read it directly. The cut in HBCU funding is especially offensive, given VP, VP, VP Harris is a Howard alumna. She ran on that issue. Which is, you know, that that is where a lot of the support came from. Um, to uh, Susan's point, Paula uh, pointed out how the dragging dragging the feet on the um, Violence Against Women Act is just another prong in the war on women. Um, it, it, there are so many issues that are centered in whether it's our reproductive rights, our physical well being. Um, Recently, California just this week passed um, uh, proposed, I think it passed a law that stealthing, which is, you know, removing a condom 
during sexual intercourse is 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 a crime, which is something that you would think should be a no brainer. But these are just it's just the it's there are so many little things and it's you know, it, the women are feeling the brunt of it. So. All of this to say that we're going to spend some time on the discussion that is dominating the news to make sure our listeners and, and, and those of us here on the live stream uh, really feel as though we're at a place where we can responsibly interact with elected officials, et cetera. But please don't take your eye off the rest of these topics, right? I, I understand that they are big. Again, uh, Joe, I know your standards. They are not, you are not a sensationalist. You are not a person that would say seven just to sort of punch up the show and make it more exciting. It's, it's one of the reasons why we're glad to have you around here is the fact that you're not the sensationalist. Uh, so it is very important to be talking about reconciliation and exactly what programs are in there and the debt ceiling and the, and the credit of the United States around the world. But please, uh, this is actually a great time to start talking about the petitions page inside the bot very quickly. If you're not already familiar, resist.bot slash petitions, or just go to the website, find your way around. Uh, or, or whatever it is that you do to interact with, with ResistBot, please make sure you're keeping your eyes open about what else is going on. There are USPS topics going on in there. There are reproductive freedom topics going on in there. Uh, voting rights is definitely part of the conversation and, and should be. So just we're going to do what we can to make sure that you understand the headlines and that you know you, you feel confident. But these other things that are going on and the oxygen's leaving the room for them, that does not mean that they don't deserve to be discussed. So Joe, along those lines of, you know, sort of where, where your expertise is and whatnot, I'm wondering if you and I can't just uh, talk for a moment about the history of these things. Like let's start at the beginning with reconciliation and the debt ceiling. Uh, uh -huh. Assuming that someone is new to this discussion, Give us a sense. What, what is the historical precedent for, say, reconciliation and the debt ceiling? What are these two parties discussing? Well, let me first say that the debt is an extremely important part of American history, and it's an extremely important part of what makes an American nation or any nation. The national debt is something that, you, that the all the different states had to be tied to after the Revolutionary War, and for instance, dealing with the Confederate debt after the Civil War was a very serious issue. So it isn't just this abstract huge number that we always fear, but what's happened now is that we have uh, at least one political party, and maybe a political party and a few of other people, who are intent on essentially shutting the government down. And this ranges all the way from Rand Paul to Mitch McConnell, to maybe even Joe Manchin. The idea is that we want to, st we want to stop the government from doing as many things as possible. And if we could throw up roadblocks along, along the way of reconciliation and then debt ceiling and stop other important legislation go uh, from progressing, that's exactly what they want. So this is deliberate. The second thing is there's always been a very technical, especially since World War II, a very technical and what I, what, historians and political science called technocratic, meaning a fight among the experts, approach to reconciliation and the debt ceiling. This is usually something that's handled by grown-ups or people acting like grown-ups. And it is it is a, a reconciliation between House packages and Senate packages and things like that. And it's something that for most issues, 
fades into the background pretty quickly. Once you're in reconciliation, the idea is that you're tinkering with details for the most part. Now, the debt ceiling, as everyone sh should know uh, by now, it's been reported enough in the news, I think, is something that is another sort of automatic thing. You just can't default on the debt, and the, the debt ceiling can, in theory, be infinite, but it's one of these things that has this sundown clause, like, un very unfortunately, the Voting Rights Act of 1967 and, uh, and other things, that parties, when, when, when they have to be, these things have to be reaffirmed, parties can say, aha, here's a chance for us to jump on the bandwagon, make a big stink about something, and cause problems, and then the other party, perhaps the majority party, will have to give us concessions about other things. So, it couldn't be any more serious, right? I suppose being at war would be more serious. Um, but but the, the thing that makes the 2020, 2020s and 2021 particularly uh, uh, problematic is that reconciliation and the debt ceiling are things that used to be kind of boring and back, back room and civil service-y, and they're not now. And that's why we have to have organizations like ResistBot pushing exactly the sorts of arguments that our other panelists are making. So quick question, Does it, is, is, is it better to say then, okay, so the reconciliation thing, the, the, the debt ceiling, is it fair to say that it is artificially created urgency for the purposes of getting something done? Uh, yes. I mean, all, almost, almost all, I can't think of any, legislation that ever doesn't need reconciliation, right? The House passes a different version than the Senate passes, or the House passes something the Senate wants changes, and that has to be reconciled with, with the House. But usually, usually those things are relatively uh, minor. Uh, Mel is asking why, and Mel is asking, so someone has asked, why do certain pieces of legislation require renewal when others do not? Uh, if I can just give the 1965 Voting Rights Act as, a, as an example, that was so uh, such a strong act, and it placed on states what was called a preclearance requirement. You had to the southern states, especially, had to they had such a history of of voting discrimination that any changes in their voting law had to be approved by the Justice Department before the their own state legislatures couldn't could pass them, and that was seen as such a very serious step forward that Johnson and the other people who Try to get this through Congress, agreed that there would be a, a, a time limit on it. So the assumption was, well, the, the 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 discriminating states will have their act together by 1975, 1985. So we can put a, a renewal date on it if necessary. We will hopefully we won't need it anymore by 1985. And that's that's how that happens. That's how how that happens in so many of these other bills that we've been talking about. So what Sorry, I don't know if that here, directly answers your question, Scott. But no, I, I, I think I think what what we're hearing though is that we've got a we've got a situation where there are um, there are pieces of business that need to be handled that are kicked down the street, right? In, irrespective of what else needs to be done. Um, Mel, so this question about you know like why do some things need to be um, renewed and, and and why some don't right doesn't that seem like that's got a common sense answer to it like sort of just like there are there are people who are trying to make a uh give themselves a second chance at the apple that's kind of how it 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 strikes me um 
the uh, listening to um, Joe, and it's there are high hopes that we'll be better by this time, but clearly we're not. So I, you know, so we're in 2021, still dealing with voting rights, still dealing with suppression. So it's it just seems like there's a there's a a waiting period for complacency. Am I? I did the thing with mute. Sorry. You know how you hit mute sometimes and you start talking and then all, I literally only all the time. Yeah. We literally said this before the show. I said, man, I have to be careful whenever I press the mute button because I sometimes forget to (laughs) click it back (laughs) off. Um, I struggle with this because I think there is a factual thing going on, which is very serious and and earnest. People say, when we create a new piece of legislation, we should give it some time because what if it's wrong? What if it's like, what if it can be improved? And I totally understand, like, let's take a look at this in a year. Let's take a look at this in three years, right? Um, But I think we can agree there's also a problem with complexity of just everything, every, every piece of legislation, everything that the government does has a uh, downstream effect that creates additional complexity. And us sitting around talking about like, oh, well, let's do this tomorrow on every single topic just leads to this logjam where it feels like almost nothing is going on. Christine, I need to ask you this question. Um, and I'm so glad to have this global viewpoint. Thank you so much. Um, how much noise are we making on the global stage here? This feels like maybe people outside the U.S. are looking at it, and it feels like it may also be something that they're not. But it, this, the debt ceiling especially relates to our credit. So I have to feel that there's at least some concern. Maybe you know, in China where they hold a lot of our debt, in Japan where they hold a lot of our debt. Right. Can you tell me about that? So the way I look at it from when I put on the geopolitics lens, um, this, they don't pay attention. People don't tend to pay attention overseas to uh, the details of what we are stuck about, but they just know we're stuck. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. The, the optics. <laughs> makes perfect sense, actually. <laughs> the optics. I think we feel from, that way sometimes. <laughs> yes. The optics outside looking in when it comes to, and they, they'll look at it from, how it affects them, you know, in the world. So if you are worried about, you know, authoritarian versus democracies, you're looking at a democracy that doesn't seem to be working sometimes and no shortage of our competitors or, you know, that's what we're calling China these days, officially strategic competition, right? No shortage of um, opportunities for our competitors to then point at us and say, look at this thing called democracy, this American experiment, you know, American experiment, see how it doesn't work. You know, the U.S. is still a young country, they call us, right? By comparison to, you know, other countries, we're still 200 something years old. And so, it, for me, sitting here, right, uh, in the U.S., you can get a little defensive sometimes when you're in these kind of foreign policy and, you know, geopolitical conversations because they're not paying attention to the details. They don't actually want to listen, which it gets frustrating as to why we are stuck. And, you know, they just know that we're stuck. So I just wanted to leave that there. It's just not great optics for us in, in anything else that we do or we want to get done. 
follow-up question real quick. Um, so along those lines, does it feel as though you're seeing different behavior maybe, especially from China, I think I'm asking about. I, and, and I'm sensitive to Taiwan right now. Uh, we've never really talked about this on the show before, but um, it feels as though maybe the behavior we're seeing from China is a little bit more than it would normally be because they think we may be distracted. Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, they sense that even um, during the Trump, especially during the Trump era, where they were paying attention, but the paying attention they were paying attention to was, what is this kind of unstable, unpredictable guy going to do next? And what is kind of like block tackling? Now that they have a Biden administration that is actually not letting up on uh, China and, and continuing that, now you're seeing them uh, move into a different mode where anything that's not working in the U.S. or perceived to be not working um, is is pointed to as a, a failure of democracy. And, you know, whereas I would often argue the opposite with, you know, folks in private settings and say, it's because we have freedom of speech. And it's because when things don't work, we can raise a lot of hell and make a lot of noise that makes our country very unique, right? So different perspectives. But yeah, so that's that's kind of the lens that I'm looking from these days. All right, I have to make a quick aside to Mel here. Um, Mel, I, I have to believe after that we stirred the pot a little bit with comments because I think we may have caught some people off guard with like this may actually affect military and and overseas you know impact. But uh, I also need, and this is the aside part, like it's super cool having an international viewpoint on the show. Christine, we're glad to have you. Thank you. It is quiet um, right now. We, um, our, my, The last comments we've received are actually on uh, still kind of the, the, how we are slow <laughs> in legislation, how we're, we're kind of, we're, we're backwards almost um, in terms of uh, virtually regressing uh, as opposed to making any significant progress. Um, on any fronts. So I, I, I can't imagine other, I, to Christine's point, I can't imagine other countries see it as anything other than we can't get our stuff together because citizens here pretty much see it that way as well from on the, on the larger scale. How much of this does everybody remember from school? Like I'm talking grade school and Joe, you have to sit this one out. Okay. Like that's no fair. Okay. Like, how much do you remember from school? And then I remember I've got, like, you know, a college professor over here. Like, you just need to sit quiet on this one, okay? I, <laughs> if you don't remember things from school, we have a problem. Uh, <laughs> Susan, like, do you remember talking about the debt ceiling in grade school? I don't think I do. I, and I'm talking, like, all the way no. up to high school. I don't remember this. Absolutely not. I have, I have no recollection of that, Senator. Um, none whatsoever. Um, I remember just, learning about it like from current events, but I don't remember it being like a part of civics. No, I mean, I don't, you know, I, I had a very good time when I was in high school. So I don't remember a lot of what was going on in the classroom, candidly. Um, but no, these were not conversations that were taking place, not in my history classes. Um, I went to a private school. It was a very small school and apparently you know, we did things very different from everyone else. 
I like, I like I Susan trying to on the sneak burnish her party girl credentials there right then. I appreciate that. You know, it's just like very quietly on the sneak being like, and now I'm the cool mom who will buy the convenience store if you need the hookup. That's fantastic. I was smoking and drinking in civics. What are you talking about? Exactly. You know, and that's if I she's showed like, up. She's like, you remember Ferris Bueller's day off? That was basically about me. Um, that was high school. So there's a reason for that, though. There's a reason we don't remember it. And um, because I read something. Um, so up until the Obama administration, the debt ceiling wasn't really this hyper politicized mm-hmm. thing that we see now. It was pretty much established so that Congress wouldn't have to make a big thing every time we needed to pay bills. So and if we needed more, they just pretty much unceremoniously. It didn't become this. It didn't become this um, politicized bargaining chip, mm-hmm. more or less, until the Obama administration. Yeah. Surprise. Mm-hmm. Go on. I mean, let's let's talk about that, right? Why? There's I, two aspects of it. They're, like, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to take the easy no, shot about being the black well, I mean, guy no, in the no, no. I'm not trying to take well, that shot at all. What I mean is, because for the first time in some time. It was it was a because remember we had we had gone through a fiscally conservative run there where even Clinton was pretty fiscally conservative, wouldn't you say, Joe? Like I mean Yes, it, extremely, extreme. Yeah. Obama was the first one, it seems. So before him, you've got George W. And I don't mean that there's a difference between, say, saying that you're a fiscal conservative and actually producing fiscally conservative results, right? I think if you look at the graphs about like you know, does a tax cut spend money, right? That you can do that math on yourself. I'm not even going to try to tell you how that ends. Just understand, I wouldn't be saying it if it didn't have a very clear cut answer. Um, the uh, George W. Before him, Bill Clinton. Uh, before him, George W. Before him, Reagan. It, it was the first time in a long time, I would say, that you really had. Uh, what I would say, more progressive ideals on the agenda. And yes, of course, there is also the bit where, you know, having a black guy in the White House was probably problematic and traumatic based on some of the signs I saw carried at some of the rallies. So um, it became, Mel, to your point, more politicized. uh, And it became about tax and spend. It became about uh, you're trying to pay for every program. It's you know, it's like, where do you draw the line kind of politics? And I think that I'm way outside my comfort zone here. I'm obviously not an expert, but I, but I feel like there, we need to have a conversation about how appropriate is it to just assume that these things can't be done, that these, like, we're just going to always not be able to feed people. We're just going to always not be able to house people, right? Like how appropriate is it? And how do we get to a point where we actually, as a nation, have sort of internalized that belief. Joe, I'm floundering out here. What do you think? Um, there's absolutely no reason we can't do those things except prejudice, except uh, uh, selfishness, and except for the fact that, uh, as, there, as you say, Scott, quite rightly, there are a number of people who think this is un- it's an unnatural thing to do or it's tinkering with the, the, the free market system or anything like that. You know, when the government wants to do something and when the more importantly, was, was, we've been talking about democracy and people having a say, when uh, the people want something to get done, then it can get done quite easily. 
Um, the reason we don't have decent civil rights, or haven't progressed as far in civil rights as we should have by now, is because people have not wanted to have. There's either not enough energy for it, or there's way too much energy expressed against it, and on and on and on and on and on. There's no, there's no reason in the world that that, that these things can't be can't be accomplished. No, no, I should say, no legitimate reason that any that any sane and moral person would would agree with. It's 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 simply because of uh, prejudice and because of a sort of knee-jerk reaction to uh, the seeming knee-jerk reaction to any time the government wants to improve things, there's just uh, some sort of American backlash. It feels as though it's we don't deserve that in one part. Um, uh, there's no that's not the that's not the public opinion when the historians of public opinion look at these questions. That's not what they're finding. Okay, what they're finding is essentially self-interest uh, group self-interest so a group of people feel that they're by giving a right or a benefit or something to another group of people to try to level the playing field is taking away the same benefit from their own group which of course is not but that's very much and and of course politicians can can jump on this rhetorically and boost their support base this is exactly what we saw in the and the Trumpers should just take just take the ridiculous things, the war on Christmas. This is absolutely completely made up, stupid issue. That doesn't exist, but yet he's able. He was able to get people to actually believe that these things were happening. So, if, in other words, one of the one of one of the bleak aspects of recent years is that, in in a way, not counting the electoral college, that's sort of a special thing, but in a way, democracy is kind of working. An awful lot of what well, I think a lot of people on this panel and and a lot of people in Resistpot would find disturbing and problematic about the the trajectory of American culture are actually what people want. A lot of people in this country want, you know, a good forty percent or however many people voted for Trump in twenty twenty is just in twenty twenty now twenty sixteen is a is a shock, and you know so. People are expressing their opinions and their values, and it's uh, it's for, for for like I think like I hope I'm saying here for sane and normal people, it's uh, frightening. But let me put it let me let me take that in a different direction, Susan. You and I had a conversation. I don't know if you were successful uh, in finding anything about it, but um, the things in the build back build back better plan, the the reconciliation, the spending package, uh, infrastructure infrastructure package. Can you tell us about like those were popular concepts? Those were popular things, if I'm correct, right? Absolutely. Um, one of the things that you know I, I came across was um, the Chamber of Commerce. You know, and again, that uh, it just goes to show you how you can have these entities in your neighborhood and not see them as this you know national um, machinery. So, uh, for instance, with the with the infrastructure bill, Chamber of Commerce was so on board with it and they were trying to get, you know, more, more and more support for it. And then the Republican faction, um, the GOP decides, you know what, this is, we're not going to promote, we're not going to progress, we're not going to do anything that the Biden administration wants. And so when the GOP then started speaking out against it and saying, no, we're not going to vote for it. You know, the debt ceiling, well, we're not going to, you know, telling the lies that they tell. 
you know, especially how the debt ceiling is to pay for future, you know, that if they say no on the debt ceiling vote, then that curbs the Dem spending. Um, but the Chamber of Commerce then did a 180 and actively is actively going out to people to get them to change their opinion on the infrastructure. The infrastructure bill, well, you know, that will benefit all of America, all of America. And, 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 and if the U.S. Chamber of Commerce has a reputation for being more aligned with the Republican. Absolutely. Because it's more aligned with the business. I mean, this is a very, very crude way of describing it. But yes, uh, more aligned with the Republican agenda because the Republican agenda has a tendency to be more corporate in mindset. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it just, you know, it goes to show you as if nothing over the last and I think it really ramped up when Obama took office, if nothing over this time that has lapsed has told you how political every single thing is and how divided we are as a country. Just look at that. The Chamber of Commerce is actively trying to kill legislation that helps the whole country. And, and, and I they just, liked it. They liked it recently. They liked it recently. They liked it really recently. And, and now they don't. And, you know, and, and it has nothing to do with with that piece of legislation and everything to do with the GOP and them wanting to maintain that connection to those to those individual legislators, as opposed to what's best for this country. And and I think that that speaks in a really big way to to why why legislation has to be reaffirmed every so often and why we still have voting rights issues. And because the, the foundation of this country is, was built on enslaved people. And so race is built into everything. And what we're trying to do when we're trying to, you know, make voting rights available to everybody. We're trying to undo these institutions and that's hard work. And well, let me, let me stop you right there because I want to, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. You're, you're moving on. And I really wanted to get to the, 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 the partisanship piece before it passed us by completely because um, you know, Mel, Christine, you know, you've heard what Joe and Susan have had to say, right. Mm -hmm. Um, I would like you, maybe both of you to think for a moment about, is there a part of this that just feels like the normal person on the street just doesn't want to get any of the partisanship splashed up on them, right? Like, like Susan, I mean, no disrespect to your characterization there. The, the U S chamber of commerce has absolutely 100% been aligned with Republican, uh, you know, corporate interests. We know this is, it's, it's a non-controversial opinion, but if I were new to the discussion, Mel, Christine, what do you think, you know, is, is this already maybe too partisan for, for maybe the, the frayed psyches of people that have been trapped inside their houses for two years? I, I think it's twofold. I think people do not really care. They just want something done. They don't care. There's a, there's a part where people just don't care. Democrat or Republican, get it done. But mm -hmm. then there's like these polls where the, the, the bill is overwhelmingly supported by the country. But 
in the same poll, it's the oh, that tongue twister university, uh, Quinnipiac. I'm gonna screw that yes, up. Yes, you got it. That I was really good. Oh, did I? <laughs> I just happen to have a friend that teaches there. Is the only reason I know that. Okay, phonics champion. So, um, yeah, but the poll said that even though it has a, the bill has majority support, he's the same. The polled people still, the majority want the Republicans to take the House back. So there's no, people are burnt out and there's no actual rhyme or reason on its face other than folks like the status quo. I mean, the, the, the world we're living in, marginalized people have more of a voice, marginalized people have more of a say, and we're loud and we're annoying and they don't want to hear it. And people just want quiet. They want change, but they want quiet change and they want the change that's not going to shake up their lives too much. So, and the Republican, the GOP still kind of represents that status quo. So I think that has something to do with it where, yes, people are burnt down on partisanship. I don't think people care about voting, especially since the, the, since the um, Biden's been in office for whatever, 10 months, nine months, and everything has not changed by now. So that means it's a wash and we need to go back. And it's, so it's, it's, people are just frustrated and burnt out across the board is what I take away from it. What do you think, Christine? I agree. I think, um, honestly, on a day-to-day basis, I'm assuming most people are just wondering, when is my uh, work schedule going to line up with my kids' schedule? And, and, you know, because COVID and people like I'm dealing, I'm the mom of a 16-year-old dealing with this, you know, every week you're kind of hoping that, you know, some portion of the school doesn't get sent home because, you know, so like these are the things that are on your mind. And, you know, a lot of us, I think, did a lot of soul searching on a personal level during this last year and a half and just reflected on just what we're doing with our own lives. So I feel like there's this inwardness. It's almost like those of us who do care and pay attention, it's almost like for a subset of the population, oh, what a relief. I did my part. Biden got elected, right? Mm-hmm. And then now they're dealing with their own stuff. Um, I so, felt so that. I agree. When yeah. you just said that, I felt that. That feels absolutely yeah. so. So Melanie's comment about well, it should be quiet change lines up nicely with well, I did my part. The president got elected the way I wanted, and now I've got four years off. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, I appreciate everyone being willing to just sort of talk through what what things we found on our own. Um, Let's do a quick wrap up for the week. I, I, I would encourage everyone get get onto the bot. Make sure you're signing the petitions and sending, you know, your own correspondence to your elected officials. Make sure you're involved here. We'll do our part to make sure you feel as though you can do so responsibly. But but definitely, you also want to be thinking about where can I find better information? How can I find you know the things that can help me with this? Uh, Christine, let's start with you since it's your very first show. Where are you going to be? What are you working on? What would you like people to look at? You know, what I'm kind of excited about is at least within the Asian American community, like what I said before about the complacency, you know, I'm in this mode with a few others of, well, what next? Because the midterm elections for us since this rise of anti-Asian sentiment 
has been a wake up call. And this is going to be our first election, if you will, mobilized after, you know, feeling this trauma, you know, the past year and a half of being targeted. And what can we do about it? And historically, we have not been a very vocal group uh, collectively as voters. And so I'm just looking forward uh, to things like Karen Bass, who has announced that she's running for mayor here in Los Angeles, you know, and current congresswoman. How do we mobilize communities to, to you know, support the candidates that we want to see, um, you know, in, in next year? So that's kind of, you're starting to hear all that midterm stuff, and I want people to pay attention. Well, Christine, your first episode was a big success. We were glad to have you. We'll ask everybody to uh, to tune in. I think you're with us next week, too, when we kick off Immigration and Asylum. So uh, we'll hear more from you then. Thanks. Joe Kuhill, where are you going to be? What do you want people to do? What are you up to? Well, let me first say, folks, that I... Um, glad you at the very beginning of the show we talked about indigenous people's day because i'm very pleased that at least in my lifetime it'll that will become the holiday and that that has changed so much in the last uh, 15 years and uh, it's it's something that is needed to be done a long time ago and i can talk about the the weird sort of uh, or origin of Columbus Day till till the cows come home. But as always, I'm uh, uh, so I'm glad that a lot of these things are making progress. As far as what I'm doing, uh, I'm continuing with the show, ProfessorBuzzkill.com, and I am I'm doom scrolling just like everyone else. Stop it. My my hope is that I can eventually start. I don't know, smile scrolling or whatever it is. But please go to ProfessorBuzzkill.com. But 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 if you invent it, I'll be very happy. <laughs> there, there should be a good word for it. the first time I heard doom scrolling. I almost fell off my chair laughing because it's exactly the perfect <laughs> description of what's going on. All right, now stop it, Joe. <laughs> thanks for all your contributions this week, Mel. What are you up to? Um, still supporting my friends at um, hashtag tailgate together. Also on my lighter side, I am a podcasting at the bad advice show you can you can follow us there where i'm um where i jump out as a moderately terrible but very funny person and um you can follow me on twitter the gates of mal uh the o is a zero so um that's where i'll be talking about this and whatever random pop cultural take i have at the time I I feel like there should be, you know, some kind of warning there. Sometimes I feel like sometimes people make you very angry. <laughs> but, I am, but we'll let them I figure it out spicy. for themselves. We should I'm let them spicy, figure it out but I'm nice. I'm spicy, but sweet. I'm like, are, I don't know, a, a sauce. I don't know. We are very glad to have you for certain. Mel, thanks for all your contributions this week. Thanks, guys. Susan, you get to close us out because of bringing me almost to tears with your endorsement the one time of uh, to write love on her arms. And I just feel like you have a great tendency to bring the house down on plugs and, and you know things that people should be supporting. What are you doing this week? What do you want people looking at? Um, well, uh, you may recall I mentioned uh, last week that October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Um, ladies out there, there's no, too, it, there's no, there is no age too young for you to start checking, doing exams on your own, even if you're not old enough to go to the doctor to get a clinical yet. 
Um, it's all, but October is also Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And so I just encourage people to reach out to their legislators and, and in the Senate and encourage them to reaffirm the Violence Against Women Act. Uh, one in three women around the globe is going to be a victim of domestic violence. And that is a horrific number. That's 2.9 billion women, billion with a B. And it doesn't need to be like that. So I, I just encourage people to check themselves and reach out to their legislatures. And um, we've got to stop the war on women. Susan, you do a great job serving as my substitute conscience. I really feel guilty when compared to you, uh, <laughs> which I think I'm going to like thank you for. But also <laughs> I'm going to spend the next couple of minutes feeling bad because I don't feel as substantial as you. Thank you for everything, as always. My pleasure. And that leaves me uh, just some quick business to sort out before the end. Remember, this show appears on Facebook and Twitter and Twitch and YouTube. And that's the live stream that happens at one o'clock Eastern time every Sunday. Uh, video replays are available in those locations. We would love to have you here with us live because then you can shoot things into the, the comments and Melanie will be forced to deal with them, which I mean, let's be honest, like when she does it, it's, it's a lot you know more fun. Um on top of that, I would just like to say this whole thing is volunteers and donations driven. Uh, if you would like to join us, if you would like to be a volunteer, if you would like to donate to Resist Bot and, and you know help your neighbors find out what is going on in the world, we would really appreciate that as well. You can always find more at resist.bot. Um, I think that's basically it. Thanks for Thanks for all the great support. Like I said, thousands of you have been watching uh, and listening over the last, just the first two shows. And we weren't sure that we were going to get to this level of success this quickly. Uh, it's a testament to how many people love ResistBot and and how many of you really want to be civically engaged. Uh, please stick with us. Let us know what else it is that we can do for you, what it is that you want to hear about. The next uh, topic we're going to tackle is immigration and asylum. Next week's going to be Asylum 101. I think it's going to be really important for any conversation about immigration and asylum. And obviously, like there's a there's a race component here that figures in as as so many of these different topics have. And and when we're talking about people coming to the U.S., we have to be talking about how many of them are just running from a situation that they can't. They don't have another move. And we've got to be as citizens really sharp about what does that mean? What can we do about it? And, and honestly, I would say we have to be careful about how we discuss it amongst ourselves or else it does sort of become part of the psyche in, and the details are important. So until next week, we appreciate you. We'll catch you then. ResistBot and ResistBot Live are nonprofit efforts made possible by our volunteers and charitable donors. Join us by visiting resist.bot. And follow us on every major social platform using the name ResistBot. Contributors appearing on ResistBot Live include Susan Stutz, Athena Foulet, Melanie Dion, Dr. Joseph Kuhill, Christine Liu, and me, Scott McTaggart. Every installment of ResistBot Live begins as a live stream at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Sundays on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, and Twitter. If you miss the live stream, video replays are available at those same destinations. Audio replays are available wherever you get your podcasts. The music at the beginning and end of the show is provided by the artist, Punch Deck. The opening track is called The Sound Consumes. This track 
is called Persistence. Both tracks are available for purchase and download at punchdeck.bandcamp.com.